listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to our podcast live from the ABA section of Antitrust Law Spring Meeting 2018. This is Anna Aryan Kalayo from Deckard LLP, and I'm the host for today's episode, which is being recorded on location at the ABA section of Antitrust Law Spring Meeting 2018 in Washington, D.C. Joining me now, I have Vic Doman from the Tennessee Attorney General's Office, Gwendolyn Cooley from the Wisconsin Attorney General's Office, and Trish Connors from the Florida Attorney General's Office. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Before we get started, I would like to ask each of you to tell us a little more about yourselves. Can you tell us something about what you do, of course, where you work, and we'll get started with Vic. Well, good morning. Thank you, Anna. So uh, I'm Vic Doman with the Tennessee Attorney General's Office. I live in Nashville. Uh, Our offices are headquartered there, although we do have offices throughout the state. Uh, I've been there now for about 19 years uh, and been practicing antitrust in all that period of time. Currently, I serve as the Antitrust Task Force for the National Association of Attorneys General. And I do have to give a disclaimer as a result of that. So um, so anything that I will be saying will, of course, just be my opinion and my thoughts. And I can't speak on behalf of the 50 state AGs or even my own. Uh, it's probably better <laughs> if I don't speak on behalf of anyone but myself anyway after you hear what we'll say. But thank you. Gwendolyn? So for the last 13 years, I have been with the Attorney General's Office in Wisconsin, and I am the Assistant Attorney General for Antitrust, which means that I'm responsible for all of the antitrust conduct in Wisconsin. Until recently, I was the only person doing antitrust in Wisconsin. So it's fun to be a small state getting to participate with my colleagues from across the country. I also have to give my disclaimer, which is that I only speak on behalf of myself and not on behalf of my office, and certainly not on behalf of the ABA or my colleagues across the country. Trish? I'm Trish Connors. I'm the Chief Deputy of the Florida Attorney General's Office. If you add their two tenures together, you'll get mine, which is around 34 (laughs) years in the Attorney General's Office. I started as a young lawyer there and in one division and worked my way up to Chief Deputy. I'm currently overseeing 1,400 people in various divisions from Medicaid fraud to criminal appeals. But for purposes of this organization, my roots are in antitrust. I ran the antitrust division in the attorney general's office for many years and still actually run it on the side, kind of, sort of. I have great people that are constantly working to make it go forward, and they do a great job. And then I also oversee as part of those responsibilities the consumer protection division. And in that capacity, I found my way into the ABA most recently, although I've had many positions in leadership with the ABA and antitrust, I'm now the co-chair of the Consumer Protection Committee for the ABA. And I, like Gwendolyn and Vic, offer the disclaimer that I'm only speaking for myself and not for my agency or the ABA or the Attorney General of Florida or any other Attorney General. Excellent. That is an impressive lineup of speakers we have. So thank you all for joining us today to discuss what attorneys general are doing in antitrust and consumer protection. So when we say antitrust enforcement or consumer protection enforcement, many of our listeners may think of the Department of Justice or the Federal Trade Commission. But state attorneys general have a rich history of enforcement and regulation in both those fields. So I would like to start our discussion by asking each of you, what role do state AGs play in antitrust and consumer protection enforcement? And Vic, maybe you can start us off by, you know, speaking to antitrust specifically. 
Right, certainly. So I think one thing that will become clear throughout this conference is that state AGs have a very, very active role in antitrust enforcement. I know that typically you'll hear the Department of Justice has brought a matter or the FTC has brought a matter, but in many of those cases, we've worked with those agencies. And for example, if it's a merger review, chances are if there's a particular local impact for a state, the state AGs will work with either of those federal agencies and work to reach a conclusion. So that may mean a settlement, that may mean litigation, but, uh, but don't be fooled, the AGs are always there in the background. And so in an attempt to really get the state AGs out there, what was created back in 1983 was called the Antitrust Task Force through NAG. Now, Trish served as a task force chair for a period of time. I currently serve as that. And what that organization was designed to do was bring together all of the state AGs because there are 50 plus of us, right? And so we often have common goals when it comes to antitrust enforcement, but the best way to organize that is to have this task force group. And so what we do is we try to work as a collective group on different matters, and then certainly we'll have, for example, an all-states call where everyone gets to hear about a particular topic that's going on. If a state's interested, a working group will form from that. And so, for example, if you're looking at a particular merger and it impacts 20 states, there's a good chance that those 20 states will form a working group and investigate the proposed merger, often hand-in-hand with the federal agency. And at the end, we'll make a determination as to whether we want to continue with the settlement that may be proposed or litigate or not. But the thing about it is that our AGs are always focused on what the impact of an antitrust matter has on our state. Is there an impact in Tennessee or in Wisconsin or in Florida? And if there is, our state AGs wanna be involved. And in that way, the state AGs have an advantage over the Justice Department or the Federal Trade Commission. Absolutely, and I think, you know, certainly our consumers look to us first. It's rare that they're looking to Washington, D.C. for an answer on some of these questions. It's often the state AG who they want to go to, right? Yep. Uh, you know, if there's someone out in the Midwest or, or in the far west, the last thing they probably want to do is call someone in with the 202 area code. Right. They'd much rather talk to their AG because they think that their AG is going to understand their issues more. There's a local feel, there's a local impact, and we're the representatives for our consumers and our citizens. So we're the, the more natural person to turn to if you're looking to help solve a problem. And while we do a lot of work with the federal government and with each other in the federal government, we also go it alone. In the last year, we had two mergers that were challenged, both the Valero merger and then the Franciscan Hospital merger in Washington state that were challenged by states alone. The two largest multi-state conduct cases that we're working on, the GDMS case, which is led by, which everyone else knows is generic drugs, which is led by the state of Connecticut and New York, and the Suboxone case, which I lead. So those are all cases that the states do without the federal government's involvement. Right. Nice. And Trish, maybe you can talk about consumer protection specifically. Well, I'd love to, but let me add a little more flavor to that one, if you don't mind. So historically, um, it was the state attorneys general that actually undertook antitrust enforcement before the federal agencies. Kansas was the first state to pass an antitrust law. It predates the Sherman Act. Oh, wow. And so um, there's a rich history of antitrust enforcement in states that goes back to years before the federal government engaged in the Teddy Roosevelt era on federal enforcement. If you fast forward to the 1970s, when there was a desire to start moving more power back to the states, 
the Crime Control Act was passed in around 1976. And as a leg of that, there was funding that was provided to state attorneys general's offices to, if they wished, engage in things like antitrust enforcement. So that's how my office was born. Um, By 1980, we had a brand new antitrust division that was headed up by a U.S. Department of uh, Justice attorney who came back to Florida because that's where he was from. And that's how we in Florida got started. But many states have similar stories. And that is when the multi-state task force started taking off. It had informally been working on its own for a number of years, but started taking on very consumer-oriented cases like resale price maintenance cases and other things when that was per se uh, illegal and took on its own persona, if you will. So there's always been this misconception that bothers me, having been old enough to watch all this happen, that there's this assumption that the states fill in this component that the feds have always been there holding on to, and actually it's a three-legged stool. The DOJ has always focused generally on one leg, which is criminal enforcement. The FTC often generally just focuses on injunctive relief, although that's changing. And we were responsible by virtue of the Clayton Act, Section 4C, for recovering damages for natural persons and for public entities. And so we've always had the idea from Congress at the time was that we would be the ones responsible for getting the restitution and the other monetary components, although injunctive relief is very important to us as well, and we get it under Section 16 of the Clayton Act, the key to us was always making our consumers whole. And that was the vision of Congress that people forget. So it's not a state vision as much as it was a federal vision, yet we have to keep reminding everyone that we're part of the national conversation on antitrust enforcement. So that's the antitrust answer. On the consumer protection, consumer protection has always been a locally rooted enforcement thing just by its very nature. We are really, really thrilled to be able to increasingly, and I think Vic will agree with this, have a terrific relationship with the Federal Trade Commission Mm -hmm. on consumer protection enforcement. One of the things that's really drawing us closer is all these issues involving privacy and data breaches, because you can't possibly, it's like whack-a-mole, you know, you can't possibly get it all. And so the consumer protection component is very, very local. That doesn't mean that the states don't band together and work on some of the larger issues like some of the breach cases, because they do, but there's no equivalent of a task force. There's a loose group of folks that work together constantly on various uh, matters. Working groups are set up similar to the antitrust side. There's no chair. There's no equivalent to VIC. But um, it's because there's no federal law that creates the backbone for the enforcement element. We can all go into one federal court in antitrust. We can't always necessarily do that. Very rarely can we do that in consumer protection. So we rely on working with those federal agencies when we need to. And when we don't, it's one-on-one and working with each other on the consumer protection side. And there's many states, including Florida, Tennessee's doing a great job right now leading our opioid effort. Um, Wisconsin's got a great group of people working on consumer protection. And that group sticks together and works consistently on local issues as well as national ones. So I think it's really interesting that all of you have talked about sort of there's really a, you know, a home team advantage, right? You know, when you're talking about, you know, enforcement within your states. I'm curious to see how susceptible really those enforcement priorities are to uh, administration changes, you know, both at the state level and at the federal level. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's a very interesting question, and I think that uh, that everyone does watch and ask that. Uh, this week, I've been asked that question numerous times. You know, we have a new 
administration at the federal level with the DOJ? Is the relationship with the states going to change? Uh, the FTC, of course, is about to have five new commissioners. Will there be a change in the relationship? And my, my answer to that is probably not. And the reason is that oftentimes everyone forgets that the career staff are there. So over the years, we've formed these wonderful relationships, working relationships with the staff at DOJ and with the staff at FTC. So the front office may change, but the people that we work with year in and year out are still there. And as a result of that, we've created these relationships over a number of years that have always been very successful, and we anticipate that will continue. So really, an administration change at the front office doesn't necessarily have an impact on the work that we do from time to time. So I, I think that uh, we'll continue to have a very successful relationship with both the FTC and the DOJ. And those administrative changes in our own offices. I've worked now for one Democrat and two Republicans, and it's certainly different. But I think reminding our front offices that what we do is law enforcement typically is a message that resonates with them regardless of their party. So Doing antitrust law enforcement cases, it seems to be more interesting. And I'll note that, again, I'm leading a case about opioids, which is something that is very important to my attorney general. And he's a Republican, and it's an antitrust case. So, Trish, do you agree? or? Oh, no. Um, I think, you know, I've worked for six different attorneys general, and they're all different. But they all have one thing in common, which is when they come in and they, they swear on, on a Bible that they're going to enforce the laws of the state of Florida— um, I've been blessed to, to know that that's happened and that they are very, very, very concerned and want to be assuring of the public that they're pursuing things in their interest. And um, they're always asking, it doesn't matter who the attorney general is, what's the right thing to do? And so um, I think that's just an absolutely important element that is important to know, that elected officials take the job seriously. So with that backdrop, whether you're talking about an antitrust case that needs to be in the consumer's interest or a consumer protection case that needs to be brought in the consumer's interest in your state, protecting your constituents, that's first and foremost. So while the staff doesn't change and they bring those cases to the fore and investigate whatever needs to be investigated, the support of the attorneys general at the top is very common and very important. And whether someone's been elected or new or the administration changes has no role in that process. They have a job to do. Right. And it sounds like just at the federal level, you know, at the state level, you know, the staff, that consistency is very important. You know, predictability, you know, businesses can, you know, predict how uh, laws may be enforced. It's it's very important. Um, One other thing I want to touch on is you all talked about working groups and coordination between your offices. And there's been this increasingly, you know, steady increase of multi-state investigations. So do you have thoughts on, you know, are there, what's contributing to it? Why are we seeing more of them? Well, I think, you know, there, there are a couple of reasons for it. First, though, I think the benefit of the task force is that it gives us the opportunity to talk all the time. So we have calls on a regular basis with all 50 states And we get to share ideas, pool ideas, pool resources, and consider whether we want to bring a case or not. And and so I think that's the beauty of the task force, just having it out there as kind of a a clearinghouse for ideas and information has benefited us tremendously. And so there's there's really that, that connection among the 50 states. When I think about the state antitrust practice, I really think that I have antitrust partners throughout the entire country. I can call someone in Washington State or in California from Tennessee or up in New York or in Wisconsin or Florida. We have this national network of antitrust lawyers that I can 
talk with at any moment. I can pick up the phone and give Trish a call or give Gwendolyn a call. And that's the beauty of the task force. We have a nationwide network of antitrust lawyers who all keep everyone on top of issues. I absolutely agree. And, you know, one of the things that's so nice is even in a smaller office like Wisconsin, I can call Trish and say, hey, I have this question that seems kind of obscure. Have we ever dealt with something like this before? And and how did it go? I mean, it's it's wonderful to have a national network. But you said you thought that you saw an increase in these. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. We have long had multi-state cases. The thing about the way that our multi-states work is we don't feel at a rush to file anything typically because there's less urgency in civil cases that you need to make sure and we that have investigative authority. Right. So we have <laughs> investigative authority. So we typically do thorough investigations of our stuff ahead of time. So that's why, you know, a case may start being investigated and then we file a complaint two years later. So it, while it may seem like, oh, we're suddenly increasing, we've all along been investigating or prosecuting just more slowly. <laughs> well, and I think you have more instant information now than before. So it's, it appears that right. there's more cases going on, but they're also, people are writing about them more. And honestly, the ABA has done a great job of developing the diversity. I mean, Vic and Gwendolyn, and there's a number of other state AG people here who are supported by the ABA. They want the diversity of viewpoint. And I think we're out there talking more about our stuff now. So people are becoming more aware of the things that we're doing, which was not always the case before. There was always this assumption that we were a follow-on to the DOJ or that we were doing something different with the FTC, that, you know, they started something. That's not always the case. And I think increasingly now we're seeing, for example, in Gwendolyn's case that she mentioned, you know, that was one that the FTC didn't necessarily want to pursue in the way that we did. So we brought a multi-state and we're actually the ones moving that one forward. There's any number of other things where we're working in a complementary fashion as one of the legs of the stool, like in the generic drugs case where there is a criminal investigation, but we're looking at the civil side to get money back for states and consumers. So those elements are very, they're high profile and they're being written about more and talked about more. And that's really, I think that's the new thing, right. which we're very grateful for because we want that. We want people to know we're out there doing the job for them. Right. It seems like there's a lot more visibility. And so it right. looks like it, it may be, there may be more. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Now, I would say, I would add to that, that, you know, one of the major focuses I think that you'll see with the multi-states that we're talking about are all matters related to healthcare. Right, it's healthcare and pharmaceutical industries. Those are the areas that affect our consumers the most. That's the thing that everyone's concerned about, whether it's the rising cost of drugs, or the opioids crisis, or just local hospital systems consolidating to a level where you're concerned about you know, monopolies, right? And so that's really when you see state action, and in particular state antitrust action on an individual basis or on a state-only basis, that's where our focus is healthcare. So as Trish mentioned, you've got particular states challenging hospital mergers. California just filed one last week. Washington State is battling uh, without the federal government at this point. These are these are cases that aren't. The Suboxone case that Gwendolyn's heading, that is a states-only case. Generic drugs, although there is a criminal component with the DOJ that is being led by Connecticut, it has 49 AGs participating in it, yeah. nearly everyone. Yeah. And But that is independent of our federal counterparts. We are bringing those cases on our own, and I think you're going to see more of that going forward. It's going to be state-led in particular in the healthcare arena and in the pharmaceutical arena. Great. This has been really great to just sort of hear that the states have been taking the lead on a lot of these things when, you know, a lot of times you hear antitrust and you think, okay, DOJ, FTC, and it's really great to hear from all of you. 
So I'm wondering if you're a law student or a young lawyer and you're interested in, you know, just this subject of state enforcement or, you know, maybe one day you want to work in a state AG's office, are there things that you can get involved with in the ABA now? Like what committee should you be joining? So we have this program called the Steiger Fellowship which if I were a law student, I would definitely be encouraged to apply for. It allows folks to do a summer, a paid summer internship in a state AG's office, and you get to do consumer protection work, you get to do antitrust work. And these are very competitive positions, but they are some of our best workers. And it is such a great entree into the world of state government and the world of antitrust and certainly in the world of consumer protection to actually get that kind of exposure and see if, if that's something you'd be interested in doing and also get paid. That's great. Yeah, thanks for talking about it. And there's also, that's a very important thing. We've had really had some really good ones that have come through our office. We participate in that um, every year. But in addition, the other committees that we all work on, we all have different um, involvement in different ways. The YLR component, to the extent that everyone's already involved in YLR, um, you know, there's a YLR representative that's on the council, but there's also YLR folks that in consumer protection for the committee, for example, we have three. We have so much going on right now, we actually asked for more help. And um, they're great. They're awesome. And so to the extent that someone wants to get involved in a committee and work their way up through the um, ABA hierarchy that way and get to know folks early on, it's a great exposure to that. So consumer protection, state enforcement, and some of those, the ones where, that dabble in areas where AGs practice, well, they'll see the most diversity there. And in fact, I met at this conference last year a young man who is now employed in our office but had been employed in the private sector who wanted to come on board with us. And so he's just starting with us now. Nice. Great. Well, that looks like we've reached the end of our program. So I want to thank our guests, Vic, Gwendolyn, and Trish for joining us today. Thank you. And just before we head off, just if our listeners have questions or wish to follow up with you, how can they get a hold of you, Vic? So if you'd like to reach out to me, there are actually several ways. Certainly, if you're a YLR member, you can find the contact information on the ABA's page. But if not, and you have a pen handy, you're welcome to call me at any time at my office. I once again, it's Vic Doman, and it's 615-253-3327, or by email, which is Vic, V-I-C, dot Doman, D-O-M-E-N at A-G gov. And feel free to reach out to me and we're happy to talk about what NAG does and uh, what the uh, Young Lawyers Program can do for you. And I'm also available through ABA contact methods, including the Connect page, which is a fantastic resource and has a lot of state enforcement committee documents, but also available at gwendolyn.cooley at wisconsin.gov. And ditto for the ABA contact stuff. We also have a very robust Consumer Protection Connect page that folks can reach out through. And then otherwise, my phone number is 850-245-0140. And um, my email address is trish, T-R-I-S-H dot Connors, C-O-N-N-E-R-S at myfloridalegal.com. And that's dot com. I'm sorry that Jeb Bush did that. That's, you know, not me. Well, excellent. Uh, Thank you all, and thank you for sharing your contact information. This concludes another podcast from ABA section of Antitrust Law Spring Meeting 2018. If you like what you heard, please find us and rate us in Apple Podcasts. I'm Anna Aryan Kalayo. Until next time, thank you for listening. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.